Thank you, Kirk, for reading our scripture tonight. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We began this study last Sunday evening, and I want to continue tonight. We have some questions that I want to go through in a moment or two. Last week in our study, I had some questions, and some of the same questions are on this list. Uh, Jared made mention to me earlier that it might be helpful if I provide the answers to these questions. I would hope that the list that you got last week, if you didn't know the answers, that you went home and did some research and found the appropriate answer. Tonight, as we think about back to school, I can only imagine what it would be like to go back to school at my age. In some ways... It would be exciting. I would love the thrill of being able to go back and maybe to redo some things that I didn't do so well long ago. But then I think about, as we grow older, the challenge to go back to school and to reorient our mind and regiment it to study and to make application of the things that we learn in the classroom. In a spiritual sense, we're all to be students of God's Word. And I think that, for the most part, we have done an acceptable job. We could do better. Some, obviously, in the church are better students of God's Word than others. I understand that In any congregation, there are different levels of maturity, spiritually speaking. You have some that are still babes in Christ. They are in a state of infancy. There are others that are progressing in the faith, and then there are those who are mature. The goal, of course, is to be mature in the faith. That's the admonition. You remember Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the admonition is to grow. And the only way spiritual growth is going to come about is by intense study and application. It's not easy, but it is necessary. In the book of Hebrews, we have a situation not unlike many congregations today. You had a group of people that should have been progressing in the faith. According to the writer, they should have been at a point in their faith when they could have capably taught someone the gospel. But the writer said, because they were not growing and had not grown as they should have, they needed someone to reteach them what we would call the ABCs of Christianity, the fundamentals of the faith. Imagine, if you can, an adult going into a kindergarten class and sitting down at one of those small tables and trying to work. 
and to learn the things that he or she learned many, many years ago. Well, that's the picture here. I think it'd be helpful to remember that the writer is addressing a group of people that had a Hebrew background. They had come out of Judaism. They had obeyed the gospel, and some of these people were on the verge of going back to the law of Moses. Some had already gone back. And what the writer is saying is, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? After all, the law of Christ is a better covenant. It was founded upon better promises. In our study last week, we talked about the cause of the problem. And the reality of the problem was that they should have been progressing in the faith, but they had not. And we also discussed some of the reasons for some of the reasons for their lack of knowledge. We cited three, and I want to just very quickly remind you, if you were not here last week, it will help you. I think there's a lot to be said for emphasizing and reemphasizing truths, particularly as we think about this subject. First, there was a disregard for spiritual matters. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, the writer talked about those who were neglecting so great a salvation. In other words, they were disregarding spiritual values and spiritual truths and spiritual matters in their life. And sadly, sometimes in the church today, we we see people that neglect their spiritual life, evidenced by how they live. And so, the writer addresses that. A second problem is found in chapter 5, verse 11. And the writer there said, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, sluggish, lazy, apathetic. In our study last week, we talked about how sometimes we hear, but we don't hear. We see, but we don't see. And I think about how often we hear the gospel and we hear the truth of God. And sometimes, sadly, it goes in one ear and out the other. Rather than sticking and making a difference in our lives. Is it possible that we've heard the truth so much that it's like water off of a duck's back? Doesn't affect us, doesn't move us. There's no desire, there's no yearning to grow and to learn. Do you remember Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. The promise he said, they shall be filled. And then the third problem that we identified, there were some in the first century who were delinquent in spiritual matters. And that's found in chapter 10, verse 25. When he talked about those who were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. As he said, the manner of some of you are. And so, problems that plagued the church in the first century, problems that are by all means manifested in the church today. There was a second thing that we stressed in our study, and that was the cost of the problem. And we said the cost of the problem is reflected in the words of the writer. Listen to him. In verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who are mature. Let me just pause there for a minute or two. The cost of the problem. The writer here is saying there are two very specific needs. Number one, there is the need for an instructor. Number two, there is a need for instruction. These people had reached a point in time in their spiritual lives when they should have developed a sense of aptitude in the Word of God. The Bible sometimes talks about those who are apt to teach. They have an aptitude, spiritually speaking, so that they are competent in the Scriptures. How competent are you in the Scriptures? How well do you know the Word of God? I understand that there are some things that are more complex. There are certain issues that require more study, more thought, more prayer. And there are, no doubt, divine truths that many of us would love to delve more deeply into. They cause us to think, to meditate. And sometimes we don't have all the answers that we would like. For example... The resurrected body. What's the resurrected body going to look like? I don't know. I just know that Paul said flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. The body that we have here will be a transformed body. It will become an incorruptible and imperishable body. But what it looks like, I don't know. And I could study and you could study until Jesus comes, but we still won't know until we get there. But all of that aside, there is the need, as the writer said, for a competent instructor, and then there is an emphasis on instruction. The textbook that is to be used is Scripture. Now we talk about the ABCs of Christianity, and think about how this works. When you began school, whether you went to preschool, kindergarten, whether you started at 4K, 5K, first grade, whatever. In order to get to where you are today, a foundation had to be laid, didn't it? When I began school, I had to learn the ABCs. I don't remember if I knew the ABCs when I began school or not. But I know I had to learn the ABCs. And so, in school, they teach you the ABCs. You take the alphabet and then you begin learning words. And I can remember sitting in the first grade and my teacher writing on the the chalkboard, writing two words and saying, when I call your name, you better know these words. Well, that's how we learned. You learn letters, then you learn words, then you learn sentences, and before you know it, what's happening? You're reading and you're growing. By the same token, in the realm of math or arithmetic, before you can ever begin working in higher math, you've got to know the fundamentals, don't you? Whether it be algebra, calculus, whatever. You've got to know the basics. Do you remember when you learned to count? 
And then when you began to learn to add, to subtract, to multiply, divide, those are basics, aren't they? Well, by the same token, when we talk about the fundamentals of the faith, there are some things that ought to be so ingrained in our minds that we ought to be so, that it ought to be second nature to us. And we we ought to be able to just spout it out. Let me just read for you some of these questions and As I read these questions, I want to just, I want to challenge you. If you don't know the answer to these questions, if somebody were to ask, if somebody at work or at school or a neighbor, a friend, a family member, whomever, the person at the grocery store, if somebody passed you a slip of paper and said, look, I've been struggling with these questions, And I've taken the time to write some questions down because I've been looking at the scriptures and these are some questions that are on my mind. And I want to know what does the Bible say? How would you fare by way of responding biblically? Could you give them a Bible answer? So number one, are the Ten Commandments binding today? Are we under the Ten Commandments? Many people would tell us in the world today that we're under the Ten Commandments, aren't we? That we're still living under the law of Moses. Two things I want you to see here very quickly. Number one, the Ten Commandments were given to whom? Children of Israel, weren't they? The Ten Commandments, the law of Moses was not given to us. Now somebody might ask the question, how do you know that? Well, look at Deuteronomy Chapter 5, very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 5. If somebody were to say to you, you know what, we're living under the law of Moses and we need to honor the law of Moses. If you look at the Mosaic dispensation law given, with the exception of the Sabbath day, those laws are ingrained under the new covenant, aren't they? So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses called Israel and said to them, verse 1, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak to you in your hearing today, that you, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with whom? With us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those of us who are here today, all of us who are here alive today. The law of Moses was given to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel had the distinct privilege of being the nation through whom the Christ would come. They fulfilled their purpose. They served their purpose. The law was given to bring people to Christ, as Paul would point out in Galatians 3. And then by way of other Ten Commandments binding today, Colossians 2 verse 14. Paul said, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, and taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses has been nailed to the cross, abrogated. Is Sunday the Sabbath day? Sometimes people talk about the Sabbath day. Well, Sunday is the Lord's day. The Sabbath day fell 
on Saturday, didn't it? The Lord's Day is on Sunday, the first day of the week. And I would challenge you to go back and look at the New Testament and note, if you would, the emphasis on the first day of the week. Number four, did the Old Testament foretell of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross? Did you know that there's some 300 or so prophecies of the coming of Christ? Many of those prophecies pointing in a very specific fashion to the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. Number five, are there Old Testament prophecies about the church? And by, by the way, in question number four, let me just give you a couple of passages of Scripture. The first being Isaiah chapter 53, talking about the suffering servant. Jesus was that suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus identified as the Prince of Peace who brought us peace. Are there Old Testament prophecies about the church? Well, the answer would be yes. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Daniel chapter 2. And many other verses. Number six, who built a church? Jesus did, didn't he? He promised to build it, Matthew 16, 18. Who is the head of the church? Same person, Jesus. Colossians 1, 18. How is the church regulated? In other words, who runs the affairs of the church? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, Paul said, That if he tarried long, if he were delayed, he wrote so that they might know how to behave themselves in the house of God, the church of the living God. We are under the law of Christ, Matthew 28, 18. Does authority rest in the church or in the Bible? It's in Scripture, isn't it? Because the church could be wrong. But the Word of God is always right, Matthew 28, 18. Is salvation located? It's in Christ, isn't it? Can you think of a scripture? What about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10? How do grace, faith, law, and obedience work together? I would encourage you to go back to the Old Testament and look, for example, at Genesis chapter 6. You have those parts working interchangeably. God Bestowed grace on Noah, Genesis chapter 6. Noah demonstrated tremendous faith by building that ark. God's law given, verse 14, he was to make an ark of gopher wood. Obedience, the Bible says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So they work in harmony or unison with one another. Number 13, how do we contact the blood of Christ? If somebody were to ask you, okay, I believe the blood of Christ saves us from sin. How then do I contact that blood? What would you say? Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that the way we contact the blood of Christ is that we are baptized into Jesus Christ. Number 14, can a person be saved outside of Christ? Can you be saved outside of Christ? Salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2.10. If you're outside of Christ, you're without hope and without God. Jesus is the only source of salvation, John 14.6, Acts 4, verse 12. Number 15, 
Is baptism essential to salvation? Yes or no? Okay, it is. Well, what's a verse? It's one thing to say we need to be baptized, but can we back it up? What about Acts 2.38? What about Mark 16, verse 16? I mean, there are so many verses that we could appeal to. Read the book of Acts and look at every case of conversion. Each and every person did the same thing to become a child of God. Number 16, how does a person become a member of the church of Christ? Do we vote on members? People join the church? How do we become a member of the church of Christ? Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13? By one spirit you were all baptized, listen to him, into one body. Baptism puts us in Christ and in the church of Christ. As Brother Billy pointed out in class this morning, when we talk about the church of Christ, what we're saying is it is the church that belongs to Christ. Sometimes people have the idea that we're talking about a denomination. So I like the emphasis on Christ church. It belongs to him. It's his church. So when a person is baptized into Christ, the Bible says in Acts 2.47, God adds them to the church. What about the acts of worship? If someone were to ask you, what are the acts of worship in Scripture? Could you tell them? Could you give them a Bible verse to back it up? How are we to worship God? Did God give us the latitude to just decide how we'll worship Him? How we'll approach Him? Jesus said in John 4, verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That means God is the aim of worship. We are the assembly in worship. We must worship Him. That's the absolute in spirit, the right attitude. In truth, that's by His authority. The five acts of worship, preaching the word. In Acts chapter 20, the disciples met in the city of Troas and Paul preached the gospel to them. Acts 2 verse 42, they they continued in the apostles' doctrine. That's teaching and preaching. And then what about prayers? 1 Timothy chapter 2, prayer was a part of the early church. It's a part of our worship today. The Lord's Supper. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talked about the significance of the Lord's Supper, the giving of our means, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And then singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. So the acts of worship. And you know, you think about these are just the ABCs of Christianity, aren't they? Could I ask you a question? How well have you done so far? You know all the answers so far? Do I need to give them? Or you got them already? You already got them? You know, the Bible says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We can't sow what we don't know. If you don't know the scriptures, then you can't teach somebody. And so you think about how long you've been a member of the body of Christ. 
Now look, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to belittle anyone. But if you've been a member of the body of Christ for years and years and you don't know the answers to these fundamental questions, something's not right. It's not just the preacher's job to know the book. Not just the elder's job. Do you know why the church isn't growing in some places? Because we don't know the Bible. And we don't know it, and because we don't know it, we are scared to death to talk to somebody. Why? Because we don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about. And the truth of the matter is, we don't know what we're talking about. So how do we offset ignorance in the body of Christ? Study. 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 That's the only way. We have got to go back to school and begin studying again. Another question. We covered the Lord's Supper. Why do we take it every Sunday? To remember the death of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 11. Can a Christian fall from grace? Can you think of a passage? What about 2 Peter 2, verses 20 through 22, James 5, 19 and 20, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, etc. Number 20, is it possible to be confident about salvation? How many folks in the church feel saved one day, lost the next, saved this day, lost this day, saved, lost, in, out? Shouldn't we be confident? I mean, think about it. If you're not confident in your salvation and you're talking to somebody about becoming a Christian, how well do you think that's going to go over? They're going to say, you know what? You're not even certain about your own salvation. Why should I listen to you? 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Who's responsible for fulfilling the Great Commission? Whose job is that? It's the preachers, isn't it? It's the missionaries, right? I mean, it's the missionaries' job. I mean, we give them some money, send them into a foreign field. That's their job. It's the preacher's job, isn't it? What about the elders? Deacons? How about, it's the job of every Christian, isn't it? What was it? Somebody said, go ye means go me. We all have the responsibility of teaching and preaching. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the two parts of the Great Commission, evangelism, edification. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Where is God glorified? Where is God glorified? He's glorified in the church, isn't he? Ephesians 3, 21. The works that we do, we do those works to do what? To bring glory to God, Matthew 5, 16. Number 24, is a Christian... A saint. Are you a saint? Can you think of a passage of scripture that would say, as a baptized believer, you are a saint? What about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2? The church at Corinth, they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. 
Who are priests under the law of Christ? Do we have a priesthood of believers? I mean, don't we have some special class of individuals who function as priests today? If you're a child of God, you're a saint, and you're a priest. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9. And what do priests do? They offer sacrifices, don't they? And we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to do this. If you didn't know the answer to these questions, I hope you took the answers down. If you didn't, you can get the tape. I I think there's a tape going. And you can get the answers to the questions or you can research them yourself, which really would be better. You need to see it in black and white for yourself. So I'd encourage you to do that. There's a third thing I want to share with you in our study today as we think about the Hebrew Christians. And we talk about the cause of the problem, the cost of the problem, the consequences to the problem. And I think this really helps us to see the importance of the subject. Lack of biblical knowledge. You remember in Hosea chapter 4, God through the prophet Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In chapter 8 verse 12, he said, I've given unto them the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. God's word was deemed foreign to their minds. They should have been conversant in the word of God. Into their hands had been entrusted the oracles of God, Romans chapter 3. If anyone should have known the word of God, ancient Israel should have known it. Hosea said in chapter 4, there is no truth, there is no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now think about that. These folks were spiritually bankrupt. Biblically speaking, they were illiterate. The church today, sadly in some places, is illiterate. We have members of the body of Christ. They've been in the church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they do not understand the first principles of the oracles of God as the Hebrew writer talks about here. So why then would that create such a problem or a barrier in the minds of people today or in the body of Christ? Let me just very quickly cite for you some things. Number one, lack of biblical knowledge. It prevents us from making wise discernments. Look at verse 14. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Could I ask you a question? How in the world are you going to know what's right or wrong, truth or error, good or bad, if you don't know what this book teaches? If you don't know what the Bible says, then you can't discern, as the writer said, between good and evil. And you tell me how many times people fumble through life, they make the same mistakes over and over again, sometimes in the body of Christ, and the reason is because they don't know what the Bible says. Many of the problems that we have in life are self-inflicted. The bottom line is, what the writer is saying is, when we study the Word of God, the byproduct is, we will be able to make wise discernments in life. 
And I'm convinced that sometimes in life we make poor decisions. We lack the ability to discern because we don't know what the Bible says. In Psalm 119, in verse 104, the psalmist said, Through your precepts I get understanding. And then listen to what he said. Therefore, I hate every false way. The psalmist understood that we could discern between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. Well, how are you going to know to be able to make those judgment calls? You've got to know the book, don't you? You gotta be able to, you've got to know the scriptures. So we lack discernment if we don't have Bible knowledge. Secondly, could I suggest that we lack dedication? Is it not the case that a lack of biblical knowledge is a preventative when it comes to dedication in the body of Christ? Is it possible that because we do not know what the Bible teaches, that we lack a keen understanding of being of what it means to be dedicated in the body of Christ? Did Jesus not say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in Matthew 6.33? Do you think that we've become so waterlogged in our understanding of the Word of God that we have lowered the standards when it comes to what is really a dedicated, zealous child of God and what is not? Is that possible? Is it possible that as members of the body of Christ that we have accepted that which is an inferior product. In everything we do, we want to be the best. We want to be the first. But when it comes to Christianity, sometimes we say, you know, it really doesn't matter. Or you know what, if I can carve a little bit of niche in my life for the Lord Jesus Christ, then so be it. We throw him some crumbs and we think he's going to be satisfied with our lives. And yet when you read the Scriptures and you understand how important knowledge is. If you do not know what the Bible teaches, then you're going to lack dedication in your life. I know that the Bible talks about some who had zeal without knowledge. But in many places, we lack zeal altogether. We're like the saints in Ephesus. We've left our first love. We're like the church at Laodicea. We've become lukewarm. There's no fire, there's no zeal, there's no burning desire. Number three, lack of Bible knowledge. It'll rob us of our devotion. Jesus taught in Matthew 22 that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Do you love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? How are you going to love the Lord God and make Him the hub of your life if you never spend time reading about Him? I mean, think about it for a minute. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about God? I mean, I, I know that we, there, we have limited knowledge based on the world in which we live. There's evidence for a Creator. But how are you going to grow in your love and affection for God if you never spend time in His Word? And we talk about the story of the cross. 
The story of the cross is much more than just a movie. The story of the cross is real. And when we understand what the Lord did on our behalf, doesn't that motivate us to love him more? Didn't John say we love him because he first loved us? If you don't have Bible knowledge, it'll rob you of your affection, your devotion for the Lord. Two more things very quickly. Lack of Bible knowledge. It will impact our duty for the cause of Christ. I believe we've been saved to serve. Do you? The Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The Bible says that we are to be zealous for good works. How are we going to know what we're supposed to be doing in the body of Christ if we don't know what the Bible says? I mean, think about that for a minute. Can you imagine enlisting in the service and not having a clear understanding of your duty, your responsibility, your task? Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25, ministering in his name. You're not going to know what you need to be doing if you don't know what the Bible teaches. And then very quickly and finally, if you don't know the scriptures, if you lack knowledge, you will lack direction in your life. And I really believe we got a lot of people in the church today. They're like a ship out on the ocean, but they lack a rudder. You know what a rudder does? There's direction, doesn't it? Helps you navigate. How are you going to navigate your way through through this world without a knowledge of God's Word. You can't do it. How are you going to know to get from point A to point B, from earth to heaven, if you don't know what the Scriptures teach? Do you remember what Solomon said? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He will direct your paths. Didn't Jeremiah say it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps? So if I have to have God's direction in my life and I need a divine director which is God's word how am I going to know what to do where to go how to live if I don't know this book do you remember what the psalmist said your word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my pathway all I'm saying is if you don't know the scriptures you'll never make it to heaven because you will lack direction in your life I mentioned in class the other day, I grew up in Chattanooga. Chattanooga is surrounded by mountains. You got Lookout Mountain, Signal Mountain, Sand Mountain. And really Chattanooga's down in a valley, so to speak. When I was a young fellow, we used to go up Signal Mountain, Lookout Mountain all the time. We didn't dare drive down the mountain at night without our lights on. Otherwise, we'd have hit rock bottom really fast. Well, you need a light, a lamp to get you home, to get you to heaven. That light or lamp is God's word. Look, I appreciate you being here tonight. And I know, I know that you're here because you want to be here. And there are a lot of places you could be tonight and you chose to come here and I want you to know how much I appreciate it. 
I appreciate those of you who are mamas and daddies, mothers and fathers who have brought your children here. And I know sometimes our children, they get fussy, they cry. I understand that. And hey, that's just part of life. We've all been there. I've been there. I didn't have to deal with it quite like some of you do because I was always preaching. But I get it. But I'm just glad you're here. And what I want to do is encourage you, make it a point to study, to learn, to grow, to get beyond your ABCs. I promise you, if you will devote yourself to study, you will be absolutely amazed at how much more you'll know one year from today. Remember last week I said, I think it was September 23rd when we met last Sunday. If you'll devote yourself to a year of study, September 23rd, 2019, you'll know far more than you know now. I believe that. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and I guess I've worn my welcome out. I didn't realize it's almost 7 o'clock, and I apologize. I'll give you a refund at the, at the door. But I, I do appreciate you being here. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ and begin that life of spiritual growth. What would you need to do? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name before others and be buried with Him in baptism. And God will wash away all your sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a Christian, and maybe you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, because of sin in your life, because of discouragement, whatever the case may be, we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.